All right. This morning for Sunday school, we're going to. It's it's really going. I'm going to be laying the foundation for a a book that we're going to be working verse by verse through soon. Um, but I'm not going to tell you the name of the book. I'm not going to tell you anything about that. I'm just going to lay some of these principles down as the foundation for the study of the book. All right. Because if we, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get everyone focused on the book right now because I want everyone to focus on these principles. And I think the best way to do this, if you'll write down three, well, one of them is kind of a phrase because I'm, I'm, I'm adding a, a definite article here. And then uh, the, the second, the, the next two are just individual words. But the first thing I want you to write down is the faith. The faith. Not faith, but the faith. And that the is very important. All right. The faith. The second word I want you to write down is invasion. And the third word I want you to write down is insurgency. The faith. Invasion. Insurgency. And when I say the faith, that may give you a clue of what book we we may be working on here soon. But these are three very important concepts that I think are, are super important and really important uh, on the book that we will be working on. So this morning, I, we're not going to make it through all of these, I don't think. But um, we're going to start with the concept of the faith. All right. So when someone says the faith, what does that indicate? What does that signify? What does that indicate? What does that signify when someone says the faith? What does that signify? Okay, a specific church. Do I? Okay, God of the Bible. Okay. Well, okay, if, if I say this, would everyone agree with this? When we say the faith, we're referring to something objective that has a definition. The faith is not subjective. The faith is referring to something specific. Something that has a definition, right? If you say the faith, you're defining it some way, shape, or form. You're identifying it, right? Not a faith, not the faiths, but the faith. The fr- I'm just re- right now just referencing the phrase. The phrase itself is representing something specific, something objective, something defined. Correct? All right, now. We're going to get into some very controversial uh, grounds here, but I think it's important. All right. So as Christians, when we refer to the faith, obviously we are referring to Christianity. Yes. But here's the important question. What defines the faith for us as Christians? What defines the faith for us as Christians? Now, if you go to most churches, what are they going to say? Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. The Bible. Yeah, okay. okay. Protestants, that's what our Protestants always say. Well, what defines our faith? The Bible. The Bible, the Word of God. That sounds so good and it sounds spiritual and everybody will say amen. And then all you have to do is just give two or three points and get everyone out by noon. And everyone will be happy and everyone will be okay. But I want us to think about this concept of 
the faith as Christians, because listen, if we're going to talk, obviously if I'm talking about an invasion, if I'm talking about an insurgency, which I will define them at a later time, clearly I'm referring to something that has an impact on the faith, right? If I'm putting the words invasion and insurgency right after I say the faith, then obviously we're going to be talking about things that attack the faith. But we can't even get to what attacks the faith until we first define what is the faith and how have we come up with that definition? So let's go back to the early, early church. This is going to be church history heavy this hour. It's going to be church, church history, church history, church history. All right. So when it comes to how the faith has been defined, we can all agree that the definitions of the faith would have started before what? Just think of it from a historical perspective. The defining of the faith occurred before there was a what? Ah, there we go. Before we had a completed canon. Before there was a completed canon of scripture, definitions of the faith were already being handed down. Now, this, this sometimes can create problems for Protestants, but you can't just rewrite history because it makes you uncomfortable, right? So, this is very important. When it comes to defining the faith, one of the very, from a Christian perspective, right, we would have to say that the church played a role in defining the faith. If you say it didn't, I, I think you haven't read a history book in a very long time. All right? So let's talk about the church and its role in defining the faith. Let's at least acknowledge this historical reality and try to understand this. Okay? Everybody ready? All right. So, as the church tried to define the faith... Now, we, we could get into an argument about the dating of this, but let's just go... We, we could... There's a lot. Put it this way. I have to summarize. Okay, everybody understand. Once we start going down the path of church history, you do realize that we could get, you know, we could never come back, you know, because it's, there's so much. So, so I have to pick and choose what I give you each time. So let's do this. If we're going to try to create a, a timeline for the church defining the faith, what would we put down as first? That's that's we gotta be specific. That's that's generic. What would we put down first? No, no, they don't have a canon. They don't have a canon. They don't get a canon to almost four hundred AD. Okay. Oh, now the Didache. Okay, that that's a possibility. What's the date for the Didache? Or Didache, depending on how you do what? Okay, look it up if you want. Just look it up real quick. Look up the Didache. Didache. Look it up. What's the dating uh, of that writing? Now, I know what you're saying. That, that, that They have letters being written. I do, I do understand that. But remember, those letters are sent to specific areas. Who gets which letter? Who has which letter? Okay. Do what? 80 to 100. Okay. So 80 to 100, we have the Didache, Didache, depending on how... You want to say it. That, that's an early, 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 early writing. In fact, many would classify that as what? 
the, one of the earliest writings that we have of the New Testament church. Okay? And you could argue that it offers some defining of the faith. I will set it aside for, for now go ahead and write it down for timeline because I like you to have timeline so that you know. I will say this. It, I, the Didache, the Didache, Didache um, when we studied it, right, when we looked at it, 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 I think you could pull some concepts of how it defines the faith, but it, I talked a lot about a, a lot of just general practice and what the church should and shouldn't do. So we can leave it there, but if we go, f- if we go for something that's very specific, saying, here is the faith, there we go. The Apostles' Creed is, becomes probably the big one. The Apostles' Creed. Now, I by no means am I not. De- I'm not denying that letters haven't be- are not being written by Paul, but they're being sent to specific churches. Right? This church may have it. Where it goes here, it's is a very. It's the wild, wild west at this point in time. Right? But a creed is written. Right? A creed is written, and it's called. We refer to it as the Apostles' Creed. Okay. Now, the dating of the Apostles' Creed, there's much dispute over when it was written. Do we have a date in our, our history book back there that, of all of our notes? Okay, between 100 and 150. Some may argue for it later, but we'll say somewhere between 1 and 200. Now, if you, even if you put it at 200, it's still what? A hundred, at least 100 years before. the Now, something happens earlier than I've give, ever given you about the canon that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But this becomes a very important. Now, if we, if we grab the Trinity hymn, hymn, hymnal and open up the Apostles' Creed really quick. We've looked at this many, 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 many times, but it can never hurt. Okay. Someone gets there before I do, just yell the page number out. So, 845. Oh, there it is. Okay, there's NASA. Nice scene. All right, 845. Now, I think it's very important. Okay, here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. All right, now, when you look at that, would you agree that that is laying down a definition of the faith? Right? The faith, according to the creed, is defined as what? A belief, first of all, in God as what? Well, first, that he is, does it say almighty first? Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So it's the existence of God. He's powerful. He is creator. That's, that's in other words, any deviation from that would no longer be the faith. The next, so we believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Next, believe in Jesus Christ, right? 
I believe, I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. All right, what are the key elements here of the faith? A belief in Jesus Christ, yes? That Jesus Christ is what? The only Son, right? Our Lord, what else do we believe that we would have to believe? Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. You have, in other words, any deviation from the virgin birth and the incarnation of Christ is not the faith. It's non-negotiable. If someone denies the virgin birth, that's not the faith. Right? What, not only the virgin birth, what else? His suffering, right, and crucifixion and death, agreed? Not, so we would have to acknowledge that he, this is very important because this would go after Gnosticism, that he literally had a real body that really suffered and really died. Yes? What else would be uh, after that? Buried? Now, the descended into hell leads all kinds of controversy, but that's okay. We won't get into that. The next part. Rose again, a bodily resurrection. You have to have a bodily resurrection. And then, ascends in heaven. You have to have an ascension. You have to have an incarnation. You have to have a virgin birth. You have to have a physical death, a physical resurrection, and a physical ascension, and what else must you have? Seated at the right hand of the Father, and the next one will come to a second coming. You have to have a second coming. That's the faith. If, if you deviate any from any of that, that's no longer the faith. You've, you've, you've completely abandoned the faith. Right? What's next? Believe in the Holy Spirit. So you've got to believe in the Father, you've got to believe in the Son, you've got to believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, I think, I think it's very safe to say that at, this may not be perfect in its Trinitarian formula, but at least lays this out. Father, Son, and Spirit are clearly seen as being distinct and different, yes? No way to get around that. They're spoken of in, in, in completely different terms, right? What, is, what do we have to learn about or believe about the Holy Spirit? Okay, right, that was weird. Okay, yeah, it doesn't say much. Next. Right? Holy Catholic Church, communion of the saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, though, that don't give us much about those. We got the church, we got forgiveness of sins, and we got a bodily resurrection. Yes? All right. So, those are the key elements of the faith. Handed down, now, they, the concept is, is this was to summarize the teachings of the apostles. Now, what, what, what would this be called? We, we would, obviously, we don't reference this as scripture, right? So this isn't scripture. So what is this? Protestants won't know what to call it, okay? okay. It's a creed. What does it fall under? Tradition? Oh, and what kind of tradition? 
This would be oral teaching that was handed down, right? right? They're summarizing the teaching of the apostles, right? I mean, they're, they're not quoting anything, are they? I mean, in other words, we, don't, we can't just go look those things. We, we believe it's in the Bible. We believe all that is biblical. But I'm saying that this is the handing down of the oral tradition of the apostles. That's the concept. And how, how important was this creed? Very. In most cases, and not, I can't say this happened everywhere, but in many of the churches early on, what could you not do if you did not know the creed? Could be baptized. In fact, what did you have? And not, not did you just have to know it. What did you have to be able to do? Recite it. You had to have it memorized. That would just wipe out pretty much the modern church. We're like, I can't memorize anything. Okay, <laughs> you have to memorize it. Okay, and it becomes the basis for what? Catechesis. What else does it become uh, the basis for? Systematic theology becomes the basis of everything. The creed, 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 the creed. You can read it and read it and read it and study it and memorize it, and you can build entire systematic theologies off of it. You can build catechisms off of it. If I was to grab uh, the Catholic catechism, if I was to gra- grab Luther's catechism, if I start grabbing any catechism, it's going to have a section where it does what? Breaks down the creed. That's how important the creed was. That establishes what? The faith. Any deviation from that, you were what? Outside of the faith. But here's an important question. Did they stop with that creed? Why? Why not? Invasion, insurgency. Which we haven't defined yet. All right. Okay, so we have the creed. Right now, what? So, and we're and we're 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 gonna try to put these in somewhat in. in I'm gonna try to put somewhat in a in a time frame. So we really have the church, we have the Didache, the Didache early on. We have the Apostles' Creed. What what's after the Apostles' Creed? Probably Council of Nicaea. Right. We're gonna go to council now. We're gonna go to a council. Right. We're gonna throw in a council. Now, why does a council have to form? Invasion, insurgency. That's going to be the correct answer every time, okay? There is an invasion and insurgency. Whenever, so think about this way. Whenever the, Christ, whenever the faith is faced with an invasion or an insurgency, what must occur? Whenever the church faces an invasion or an insurgency, what must occur? The faith must be defined, in many cases defined again, or in some cases an expanded definition in order for clarification. The faith has constantly has to be defined. If it's not, why is it so important to define it? Well, if an invasion is coming, well, what's, what's the, what's the, uh, well, in fact, let me just, uh, I, I was trying to wait on these, but let me just go ahead and give you definitions for invasion and insurgency. Everybody ready? An invasion is a military offensive in which large numbers of combatants of one geopolitical entity aggressively enter territory owned by another 
such in, uh, uh, by another such entity, generally with the objective of either conquering, liberating, or reestablishing control or authority over a territory, forcing the petition of a country, partition of a country, or altering the established government or gaining concessions from said government or a co- combination thereof. Simply put, an invasion is where someone comes, tries to come in to do what? Take over. Control. Define. Determine. So whenever something from outside tries to come in to invade Christianity, it's going to come to control it, to redefine it, to rename it, to make it what they want it to be. What's the only way to stop that? Definition, 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 definition. The way to combat an invasion is definition. The way to combat the invasion is definition. Definition is is the military of Christianity to fight the invasion. It has to be so defined that anyone who anyone will know that's not Christianity. That's not everyone. That's not Christianity. I don't care how smart they sound. I don't care how powerful they may be. I don't care their number. If you, if you have a correct definition, even the youngest to the oldest, to the learned, to the unlearned, can go, that's not it. Wherever definition of Christianity ceases to occur, right? Trust me, Christianity becomes vulnerable. Think of it this way. You can have an entire military to fight off an invasion, that's the definition of Christianity. Once you, have a, once you have a generation of Christians who rise up who cannot define Christianity, that is like the military quit, abandoned their post, and now the country is ready to be invaded. Now what's frightening is you ask, you just do so. The next time you are around anyone who claims to be a Christian, ask them to define Christianity. Ask them to define it. What do you think they're going to say? That may say something foolish. Well, I don't define it. The Bible defines it. Oh, that's that. That so sounds so uh, so Protestant right there, right? That's so just that. You know how meaningless that is. I'm like, yeah, the Bible defines it. There's a Jehovah's Witness. There's a Mormon. There's a Catholic. There's Greek Orthodox. Okay, they all have the Bible. Okay, <laughs> so that what does that even mean? Okay, that sounds that's such. Oh, that's such Protestant foolishness right there. It drives me crazy. Because, it, because we don't, they don't know what else to say. And if, if you start trying to get them to define it, you, it, it, can just, it can just descend into utter like, you're like, what are you even talking about? The early church, what would they have said? Define Christianity. What would they have said? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, right? who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's what would be the definition. That would be the definition. It's amazing that 
that, that's early on, depending on how, where we want to date it. And I know there's some back and forth and how people want to date it. But I'm saying, you can see why that's so significant. Now you say define Christianity and people are like, you just, you just start, you're just looking at them like, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Just stop, talk, just stop, just stop, just stop, stop. In other words, and we, we started, say, 100, 200 AD, who are in 2022, and we've not improved on the situation. We've actually made it worse. What, what do you think is the reason Christian, many Christians cannot define Christianity in any meaningful way? What do you think has led to this? Okay, apathy is a good thing. I'm not a good thing, but it's a good answer. Okay, it's not a good thing. What else? Relativism, I think that's good. What do definitions do? Definitions are going to make are going to define someone as being right and someone being wrong. Yes, right. If 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 you say no, that's that's not the right definition. Someone's going to get upset. And so, what what has the church for a very long time desired more than definition, inclusion or unity over definition? The more the more precise your definition becomes, the more people are going to be left out. The more you define, that's why many churches, their statement of faith, you're like, you, it sounds good, but it's so vague that you don't, you don't really know what that means, right? Because they, they, they want to be very, because the more specific you get, what happens? More people are going to be left out. More people are going to be left out. More people are going to be left out. So you just try to stay away. You just try to throw. And like even some, I mean, we saw it with the Southern Baptist Convention when they hired, you know, the, the new Southern Baptist president. And then you, they, everybody looked on his church's website. and They had a complete fraudulent definition of the Trinity. Did he apologize? No. Didn't even wait for the church to vote. Within like 30 minutes when the controversy started spreading the internet, or an hour, I don't know exactly how long, they deleted it. And they just, just removed the controversial part. In other words, he didn't even, they didn't even bring it before the church and say, hey, we're going to change our doctrinal statement. They just removed it, never apologized, never explained. And guess what? Did anyone in the Southern Baptist Convention care? Nobody cared. They didn't do anything. I'd be like, wait a minute, we just elected someone who doesn't believe in the Trinity? Now, either he doesn't believe in the Trinity or so confused about the Trinity that he doesn't even know a good definition from a bad definition, which you probably don't want someone like that to be the president of your denomination, right? I would think a, a, a basic understanding of the Trinity should be a requirement to be president of a denomination in the Protestant world, but I guess not. Or even knew what was on the website. I bet you, because I bet you that nobody from the church today ever bothered to even look at their the confession of faith or doctrinal statement. It's just, it's just I, yeah, we, we could spend all day. So that, that comes in with the complacency. It comes in with everything. So we have the creed. I just, I cannot stress the importance of the creed, right? Then from the creed, we move to what? The council, council of Nicaea, which is what year? 325. Again, why the council? Because of an invasion, right? Now, and I, I, now I haven't even given the idea of an insurgency yet, but that's okay. They, I think of these, they have to define because Christianity is being threatened to be what? Changed. Redefined. 
redefined. And so they have to define it again. And they have to define it a little bit more. And what does the council produce? A creed. Well, isn't that amazing? And what creed is that? The Nicene Creed. Let's go, to, let's go look at the Nicene Creed one more time. I know I should get, I was going to give you the definition of insurgency, but I didn't. Okay. All right. Okay. Here we go. The Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. What is added from the Apostles' Creed to the Nicene Creed? Well, uh, look at the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. It doesn't say one God, does it? All right, so they stress the one God concept, right? Why, why are they trying to stress the one God concept? They're trying to understand that this is, try, this is really starting to establish Trinitarian concepts, right? In other words, Father, Son, Spirit, but how many gods? One, all right? Okay, so just very important. So one God, and then what else is added here? We have, the, we have the idea that he's maker, yes. But what do they add? What do they add here? Look at the apostles. All th- he makes all things visible and invisible. All right, so they add that concept. Then we get to Jesus Christ, and they add a lot here, don't they? And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. That's added, is it not? Right? The only begotten Son of God. Now look at here. Begotten of his Father before all worlds. God of God. Light of light. Very God of very God. Begotten, not made of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. What are they stressing here? They're, com- they're combating a heresy. Yes but they're establishing that Jesus is deity. Right? Deity. One substance with the Father. Right? Get that idea? So I'm just trying to demonstrate that they are expounding. And by expounding, they're, they're, re- they're, they're defining Christianity in such a way to protect it from the invasion, or in some cases we could refer to this as an insurgency. We could get into a debate, a debate exactly how we want to define this. But it's to combat it. All right? And we could go all the way through the creed. We don't have time to do that, but you get the idea. All right? So, we have the faith, yes? And we have the faith here being defined by the church. They get, we get the Didache. We get the Apostles' Creed sometimes referred to as the creed, we get the first council of Nicaea, 325, and then we get the Nicene creed. The Nicene creed. All of this is to do what? Define it. Define it. Define it. Define it. Define it. This is what it is. This is what it is. This is what it is. So at this point, at least to 325, so we'll say 325, and we're going to jump to 331. Something very interesting happens in 331 that is not in your history book back there because we've never studied what I'm about to tell you. Or at least I don't, think, or I don't remember this, okay? 
331. Something happens in 331. Does anybody know what happens in 331? 331 A.D. Okay. All right. Now, this is very important. So, we're at 325. Now, why is that significant? Because we're 300 years, well, yeah, um, maybe a little less than 300 years. Christ dies 33 A.D., so a little little less than 300 years. But we're, we're getting close to 300 years since the death of Christ. And primarily, Who's the one defining the faith? The church. Now, I know Protestants are going to deny that, but I mean, there's just no way to get around it. The church is the one defining it. It's the one defending it. It's the one saying this is and this isn't. This is and this isn't. This is and this isn't. Now we know what they do in the councils, right? If you don't, if you don't believe this, you are anathema, right? I mean, that's, def- that's defining the faith. The faith is being defined. But now there's going to be a transition And the focus here is going to be, the church is going to be involved, but guess what's getting ready to come forward? No, no, no. Well, the state's going to be involved, yes, but the Bible. What what happens in 331 related to the Bible? No, 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 no. We're a long ways from the canon. The 50 Bibles of Constantine. The 50 Bibles of Constantine. The 50 Bibles of Constantine. Does anybody know about the 50 Bibles of Constantine? No. All right. See, that, that's why you come to church, right? See, every time we, I, I could, see, when you, I know what you were thinking. When we went back, you were like, we already know all of this, but see, I, you have to go back to, so I can add new stuff to it, Right? That we can, well, we could be working on the timeline for church history for the rest of our lives. Okay, all right, here we go. Everybody ready? You're about to learn a little bit of, of history here. Okay. The 50 Bibles of Constantine were Bibles in the original Greek language. Bibles in the original Greek language. Does anybody know who they were commissioned by? There you go. Well, I mean, you're smart, right? Because they're called what? Constantine's Bible. Yes, they're commissioned by Constantine. All right. And they were prepared by Eusebius of Caesarea. Eusebius, E-U-S-E-B-I-U-S of Caesarea. They were made for the use of the Bishop of Constantinople. And the growing number of churches in that new city. Now, this is very important. How do we know these Bibles existed? We basically just have, the only thing we have is Eusebius quoted the letter of commission in his Life of Constantine. Eusebius wrote a book on the Life of Constantine, and here, this is where we find out about the Bibles. We have nothing surviving from them. Well, we we think we have something surviving from them, which is going to be very important when it comes to the formation of the canon, but here we go. You ready? Um, 
the life of Constantine and is the only surviving source from which we know of the existence of the Bibles. Now, the next part is pure speculation. Everybody ready? It is speculated. And I by no means have enough knowledge here to say if this is true or not true. But it seems that the commission of these 50 Bibles may have provided the motivation for the development of canon list. This may have been the spark about creating lists of, okay, so which books belong in it? Which books go in? Which books don't? Now, if that's the case, isn't it fascinating? Why would this be fascinating if this is true? Why would this be fascinating from a historical perspective? Yeah, we're in 331 for crying out loud. And someone's like, wait a minute. What books belong and what books don't? <laughs> that's, that's a little disturbing to me. Uh, but, but that goes, it should be disturbing to all Protestants, okay? But it's not disturbing to others who see the power or the authority of the church. But let's just, the, look, there's no way to get around this, okay? For the first 300 plus years, the church is absolutely essential to the defining of the faith, defending of the faith. If, it's not, if the church isn't there, we don't have anything. I mean, the Christianity dies. Okay? Which is just, it's so bizarre to see the power of the church then versus now. The church is... is People get mad when I say this, but in all practical purposes, the church today is absolutely useless. I know know Christians are going to get mad and say, how dare you say that? But here's the reason I can say that, right? I come in here, I say something you don't like this morning. You can literally get up and do what? And do what? Or do what? Start your own. There you go. There you go. Just start a church. You can start a denomination. You can start a church. You can start a home church. So, so the church is, whenever it says, no, the church still has power. It only has, the, how much power, I've said it so many times, how much power does the church have? Only what you grant it. How much power do I have? Only what you, and, and, and in many cases, you, you, don't, you won't even argue. You just walk away going, I disagree. Because I don't have any authority, any power. And people would listen like, how dare someone do that? You're living in denial if you don't think it happens all the time. There's people in your church right now who don't believe what your church even teaches and they don't care to, they don't feel any, like they can just believe whatever they want. It's just so amazing how the church had power because you, I can, you can guarantee what would happen in 2022. Can you imagine Council of Nicaea's meeting, and there'd be people on Twitter in 2022 going, that's a bunch of garbage. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. They're a bunch of idiots. No, 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 no. Yeah. They're like, how dare you tell us what to believe? So we went from the church having a say-so to the church really having, no. Who determines now what Christianity really is? The individual. I, I hate to say that. I remember, you know where I'm going to put the blame? Where am I going to put the blame? I'm not saying it was intended, but the Protestant Reformation 
broke, I mean, basically Luther said what? Without, if, if, if it wasn't his intention, <clears throat> the unintended consequences is Luther said what? I don't care what you say. Now everybody said, but, but he figured it out from the scripture. His interpretation of the scripture, and then immediately after Luther said no to them, other people said no to Luther. <laughs> and then people said no to them who said no to Luther. And then here we go, here we go, here we go. Once the dam broke, the flood occurred. But it's just fascinating that for 331 years, basically, it was the church. And now we got Bibles are going to go out, all right? 50 Bibles. Where do they go? To, the, to one bishop of Constantinople and because it was for the growing number of churches in that city. That's what they were for. Okay? It's speculated that the commission may have done what? Motivated the development of canon list. And then this is very important. And that Codex... Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus are possibly the surviving examples of these Bibles. Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus. Now, that's going to be, those codexes, those manuscript collections are going to become very important, all right, as we move forward. Now, a lot of that's speculation. Make sure you understand that. You can find other books that may say something completely different. So I'm just giving you, like, speculation here. Here's what we do know. It seems to be a historical fact that the 50 Bibles were created. We don't know much more than that. Rest is speculation. But the fact that they're created in 331 begins to demonstrate a, a, a change in, maybe, maybe all of a sudden a concept of, of wanting something in written form. Maybe, right? <clears throat> in other words, it signifies possible change of something. So I think that's important. No, they think they, think they may be the they, they may be Example of their surviving Bibles, yeah. Right. And I think that maybe it comes from that, right? Yes. Does that make sense? All right. <clears throat> now, again, that's speculation. Please note that's speculation. That's speculation. I, I don't want to pretend to be dogmatic about something I can't be dogmatic about, all right? Now, this is very important. There is no evidence among the records of the First Council of Nicaea of any determination on the canon. That's always important because you'll find Mormons who may come, a lot of people may show up at your door and tell you that the Council of Nicaea determined the canon. That is not true. That is not true. That is not true. I don't know why people think that. It's not true. Okay, that's, it's like some kind of mythical legend. Okay? I mean, pretty much any, anyone who's antagonistic towards Christianity, they blame the Council of Nicaea for everything. The Council of Nicaea is the boogeyman, right? And I don't know why. It, it's just so weird, but 
Dan Brown did it in the Da Vinci Code, and it's just, ugh. It's just, oh, it drives me crazy. And it's usually when, when we went to uh, Dallas Theological Seminary for the debate between Bart Ehrman and Dr. Wallace, right? Um, when they did Q&A, someone came up there and started making some argument about, well, it was the Council of Nicaea that de- determined the canon, and I'm just sitting there going, just people stop, stop. If people want to be armchair theologians and armchair church historians, they don't want to actually do any actual work. They read something on a, they watched a YouTube video, you know, of some conspiratorial nonsense instead of learning how to do actual research. And act. People love to do that. They love to have some comments about major issues, whether political, medical, and they don't want to do anything to do actual work, actual academic study. They don't want to, nobody wants to sit down and read an, an actual medical journal. No, 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 no. Watch a YouTube video and then make all kinds of claims about medical things. Like, whoa, wow, you're, you're a genius. You're, 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 you're a genius. I'm not, I don't want to go to medical school, but I want to act like I'm a medical expert. You know, if, if, you're so, if you're so interested in medical things, go get a medical degree and then fix the medical world. Show all the medical world that you're right and they're all wrong. It just, it, that, that mentality just drives me, it's so crazy, right? Okay. The, at, we had to take a dog to the vet this week, and it was horrible, and that's why Stacy's not here, because she's taking care of the dog. But when you walk in, right on the, on the counter, it says, uh, it says, I don't care about your Google over my veterinarian degree, right? <laughs> it's like, I don't care. And when I worked with doctors, the same thing. They're like, you know, oh, so you Googled something, so now you're a doctor, you know? And it's just like, well, the same thing happens in theology and church history. Now, I got no problem with study and challenging something, right? Even in medicine, sometimes you have to take ownership of your own health care, and you've got to work, 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 but you have to also acknowledge that there's a limitation to your knowledge, right? You reading an article on Google that you searched on Google does not make you an expert. Just because you watched a YouTube video in the formation of the canon doesn't make you an expert. You got to study, study, study academic work on it. Doesn't mean that every expert is always right, because experts can be wrong. But there, there's got, and sometimes because one expert is wrong, then we think all of a sudden we're an expert. Because an expert was wrong doesn't make you now more knowledgeable than the expert. Just means an expert made a mistake. And I'm assuming that their mistake is going to be different than your mistake, considering their mistake is based off knowledge and yours is based off ignorance. Does that make sense? And I, but yeah, it just drives me crazy. So people say these kind of things about the Council of Nicaea all the time. All right, now, however, there's a claim here that Jerome, in his prologue to Judith, makes the claim that the book of Judith was found by the Nicene Council to have been counted among the number of sacred scriptures. That is a claim. I don't know why Jerome says this. The Council of Nicaea, or the Nicene Council, found uh, that the book of Judith was counted among the number of sacred scriptures. Now, why he claims this, I don't know. We, We can get into a discussion there. But what I want you to see is there's just, what? 
People trying to figure it out. 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 Why is this so important? Because, yeah, the definition of the canon is going to become critical in defining what? The faith. So that's why I'm taking you through this this process. All right. Oh, we're going to run out of time. According to Eusebius, Constantine, one, wrote him in his letter, and I quote, I have thought it expedient to instruct your prudence to order 50 copies of the sacred scriptures, the provision and use of which you know to be most needful for the instruction of the church, to be written and prepared parchment, parchment in a legible manner and in a convenient portable form by professional transcribers thoroughly practiced in their art. That's very interesting. Hey, that hey, you, the, the church needs needs to be instructed from scripture. So this is showing a scripture kind of mentality here, which is very interesting in church history. Now, Eusebius, go ahead. Right, that, well, that's why they're referring to parchment. Yeah. Yeah, put them together to some level. Right. All right. Uh, Such were the emperor's commands, which were followed by the immediate execution of the work itself, which we sent him in magnificent and elaborately bound volumes of threefold and fourfold form. Now, nobody really knows what it means by threefold or fourfold form. There's all these speculations. It could have looked like this. And you can find pictures on the internet. It could have looked like this. could have looked like that. We don't really know because we don't have them, okay? Whatever happened to these 50 Bibles, we don't have them. But they bound them together in some kind of form. And they got to work and they found that obviously the best people to work on them and they put them together. Now, what would be the big question here? What would be the big question about these 50 Bibles? There you go. What books were in them? Because that would help us to find the canon. All right? Probably some speculation of what was in them, okay? And I guarantee you what was in them probably are not in our Bibles today, but that's a whole different discussion. All right? Now that... Well, yeah, a lot of what's in our Bibles would be there. But there are, I, there's some things that were always floating around. Shepherd of Hermas was always floating around as being uh, considered uh, canonical. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we could get into a whole yeah, discussion here. Okay, so, all right. Now that jumps us to where? No, no, no. Well, there's going to be other councils, but now we're kind of moving away from the church. What's going to happen next? We just went from 325 to 331. Are the church and state going to get involved? 367. Athanasius, yes. Athanasius is going to write a letter. He's going to write a letter. And this letter is going to do what? It's going to define the New Testament canon. All right, and also, uh, guess who uh, Athanasius is going to get in trouble with? He's going to get in trouble with Constantine. Why is Athanasius going to get in trouble with Constantine? 
No. Because Athanasius starts kicking people out of the church who doesn't follow definition. <laughs> Defini- yeah, the cal- the, the cal- it's going to be a creed comes into play. Here we go. Since, and I'm just going to quote, since you know my will, grant free admission to all these who wish to enter the church. For I hear that you have hindered anyone from becoming a member or have debarred anyone from entrance. I shall immediately send someone to have you deposed at my behest and have you sent into exile. That's from, coming from Constantine. Constantine the Great, written in uh, 328, I think is when he writes it, to Athanasius. He writes him, because Athanasius is bishop of where? Alexandria. And guess what? Constantine is like, hey, you keep kicking people out of the church and you won't let people in. Stop it immediately or I'm going to remove you. Now, this immediately shows the, the church and state all mixed together. Yeah, which is bad. Constantine the Great. Yeah, probably. All right. So Alexandria, so uh, Athanasius gets in trouble. Again, why is Athanasius getting in trouble? This is, so, this is the most important part of the story. He's barring people from entrance into the church or throwing people out. So Athanasius understands that what has to be defined? The faith. And not, and not only must it be defined, if you don't adhere to the faith, you have no part in it. He's defining it. Now, what, what is Athanasius going to use to define it? That's a good question, right? What do you think? What do you think? Let's see if we find out. We'll get some answers here, all right? So those were the words that I just read to you of Constantine the Great, written in 328 to Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria. Athanasius had not followed Constantine's growing interests and a kind of an ecumenical concept, kind of an ecumenism, if I can say the word correctly. He almost wanted, let's all get along. Now, why does Constantine want everyone to get along? But he wants everyone in unity because it doesn't disrupt the empire, the nation. He doesn't want a bunch of Christians fighting and arguing and... Right. Yeah. Athanasius is going to give us the canon. Right. He's going to give us the canon. Now, we're going to see if his canon's going to agree. Well, there's a whole bunch of issues going on here, okay? Now, here we go. You ready? Here's what Athanasius is doing. Everybody ready? Instead of going with what Constantine wanted, which was kind of an ecumenical kind of concept, guess what he had done? He had not followed that Instead, he had insisted upon excluding from the church anyone who did not subscribe to the creed of Nicaea. So what does Athanasius make the definition of Christianity? The the, the Nicene Creed. And if you did not follow it, he wanted you out. He wanted you gone. So what, what can we establish here? That they, the early church was doing what? 
defining the faith, and then what else were they doing? I'm going to have to stop right there. Not only were they defining the faith, what else were they doing? Making that definition authoritative, and if you did not follow it, you were to be gone. Right. Okay. Yeah, but if you're, a poli- if you're a politician, you're like, hey, no, no, we need everybody to get along. We need everybody to get along. Just to stop fighting each other. Stop fighting each other. Stop fighting. I want unity and peace in my empire. Right? So just say, Christianity. See, we're all... And, but no, the, the church was like, no, 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 no. We're not, we, we don't want peace. We want truth. We don't want peace. We want a definition. And again, what's the only way to protect the church from invasion or insurgency? Definition. I, if you don't get anything from this morning, what is the only way to protect the church from an invasion or an insurgency? Definition. All right, has everybody got that down? What is the only way to protect the church from an invasion or an insurgency? Definition. You have to define the faith. Up to this point, the main way of defi- de- the main source of definition flows from the church itself. Now you can say, well, they based it off. Scri-. You can make all the arguments about scripture, but the church is the one defining it. I mean, even Athanasius, what is he using to define it? Using the creed, he's not using scripture. He's not saying you have to follow. He's like, here's the creed. The, they believe the creed gave. Whatever scripture they were referencing, it, that it was in a line with that. But they were giving the creed. That, but he's going to now move past that here in a minute. But we, we'll have to stop there. All right, any questions? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Very important look at church history. And a very important concept of how important defining the faith truly is. I hope this makes sense to everyone. And that we'll give this serious thought as we continue to lay a foundation for the book that we'll be studying soon. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...